241 years ago in 1776, the forefathers of our country, they signed the Declaration of Independence. And uh, these pioneers came to a great land. They were fleeing Great Britain. And uh, we don't hear it taught much anymore, but they were fleeing not because it was the wrong party that was in control. It wasn't because a vote that had gone wrong. It wasn't because a tweet had gone viral. It was because these, these rebels, these renegades, had the audacity to think that they could worship God on their own. That they could worship God freely. That they did not have to be a part of the Church of England. And so they said, we're going to get on a boat and we're going to get out of here. And then they came over here and they formed the 13 colonies. Much to uh, the, the great peril. Many lives were lost. Many families were broken up. But they survived. And they wrote this Declaration of Independence. Yes, our country was founded on people who were seeking to worship God freely. But how far have we come in our great nation today to where we hear separation of church and state quoted as if it is a law of which it is not a law. It was simply something that was stated that uh, was saying that we need to protect the church from the state, not the state. From the church. And so now things have changed. Following Christ was once a passion that caused people to do great things and take great risks for their faith. But now many people are even afraid to even mention the name Jesus Christ in public. Our world is crying out, folks, for believers like you and I who love the Lord who, like our forefathers, are willing to put our faith on the line and maybe even draw some criticism, but to show faith and compassion and love to those that need it. We as believers need to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. And so we need to witness. And the name of the message today is, Can I Get a Witness? And I'm going to share with you a story of how not to witness, okay? There was a barber that thought that he should share his faith with his customers more than he had been doing lately. He had been to church and the preacher was really getting on it. So he said, I am going to share Jesus with my customers. It was his barber shop. He could do as he wanted. So the next morning when the sun came up and the barber got out of bed, he said, Today I'm going to witness to the first man that walks in the door. Well, soon after, he opened the shop and the first man came in and said, I want to shave. Well, the barber said, Sure, just sit in the seat and I'll be with you in a moment. The barber went back. And he prayed a quick, desperate prayer. Lord, please, this is the first customer that's came in. Please give me the means and the words to say as I witness to him. So give me the wisdom and work through me, Lord. Well, then quickly the barber came out with his razor knife in one hand and a Bible in the other while saying, Good morning, sir. I have a question for you. Are you ready to die? That's not the way to witness with a Bible in one hand and a straight razor in the other. But hey, I'll give the barber an A for effort. He was really trying to use his platform to share the gospel. But 
that there was ever a time that our world needed witnesses to testify of the love of Jesus Christ it is today. Folks, is it not true that the volume of hate is at an all-time high? It is so much easier for us to hate and to separate and to segregate and to to take what's in the walls of a church like this, of something that's beautiful, and then go outside of the walls and to be totally something different. Folks, how do we win this? How do we fight hate? Well, we fight hate with love. And so we see here that uh, as we look at our passage, we're here because Jesus healed a man that had been lame for about 40 years. And the religious leaders of that day were concerned because... The man was healed on the Sabbath. And instead of seeking gratitude, the man went to the religious leaders and basically told them what had happened. And they, he basically, if you ever heard of the term, drop the dime on Jesus. If you have a brother and sister, you probably understand what that, that means. When you drop a dime, you basically are tattletelling. We see nowhere in the scriptures where this man that was healed was saved, but he went back and he told the religious leaders. And so the religious leaders started their case against Jesus Christ. And so if you were to imagine this scene, I, I would like to imagine it probably is a courtroom to where all of a sudden the religious leaders are sitting on the judging post and they're looking at Jesus Christ. Now remember, this is Jesus Christ at the beginning of his ministry. People saw what he did. He was a celebrity, but yet people didn't really fully understand who he was. So what we see here is that uh, whether it was gratitude or the man was the, the lame man was trying to reinstate himself as now a clean person among the culture. He was testifying about Jesus Christ. Now, in this testimony that we look at, Jesus is going to give us a witness to who he is. In a response to the question interrogation of the religious leaders, Jesus is giving three witnesses. Now, why is it so important? Now, and I hope I'm not going into like um, teaching mode because there is some, some great motivation here. Why do you want witnesses? You want witnesses to prove a fact. Back in the Old Testament, the Jewish leaders and Jewish law said if you are going to try someone that they need to have more than one credible witness. Why do you think it's important to have more than one credible witness? I don't know about you, but if I was on the stand or if I was being accused of something, I would hope that more than one person can come up and accuse me of something I did or didn't do. And so this was giving strength. The, the Jews knew that, that they would have to have more than one credible witness. So here, Jesus gives us three. So you're, you're sitting on the jury today in your pew. And you're going to be hearing Jesus give a defense of who he is. And he is talking about witnesses. Now, a witness, this is a key theme in the book of John. And... Matter of fact, it is used 47 times. And it's kind of like when you're studying and you're reviewing for a test and the teacher says, you might want to know this because it'll be on the test. Jesus is a witness of who God is. And we are a witness of who Jesus is. So in any ruling, one witness 
is good, but can be challenged. Because people might have forgotten what has happened, or they might even want to say things that are not right. But, but Jesus has given a witness of who he was and who he claimed to be. Jesus, does Jesus need a witness to prove him? Does Jesus need a witness to prove himself? Absolutely not. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. However, in this passage, the witnesses he mentions are not in his defense. Jesus is not on the ropes here, folks. The religious Jews are not sitting back and saying, who do you think you are? That is what they're saying. But Jesus here is not trying to defend or make up ground. He is using this moment that we are about to read to accuse the religious leaders of their blindness. He's challenging them. Because think about this, folks. They were so close to the Messiah that they've been waiting for that they could reach out and touch him. He was standing right in front of them and they missed the opportunity. Now, we might go back and say, well, hey, this is going to be a great Bible story. But folks, how many times has Jesus been right in front of you? And because of your blindness, because of your sin, because of your self-absorption, you miss the blessing right in front of you. We always like to throw the religious Pharisees under the bus. But folks, there's a little bit of them in all of us. There are people this day that are skeptical of Jesus Christ. They are doubtful of Jesus Christ. That is why we need to be witnesses and show people what and who Christ is. Well, let's jump into the passage. The first witness we see that Jesus mentions is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And starting in verse 31, he says, If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you, that everything he says about me is true. <laughs> Jesus, I love the way he does this. He says, in fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. So here we have a glimpse that these same people that are accusing Jesus of committing some foul sin have already checked John out. They, they would send investigators out to check local preachers and make sure that they were preaching what they thought was the law of God. And so it says in verse 34, Of course, I have no need of human witness, but I say these things not to prove myself, not even to change your mind. Why does he share these things? He says, so that you will be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp and you were excited for a while about his message. We see here that John's witness, what was he saying about Jesus? There are three things. And if you go back and you look at John chapter 1, this was John's witness about Jesus Christ. The first thing that he said is that Jesus was the Lord. In other words, Jesus has authority in our lives, there are a lot of people that will pray and ask Jesus into their life to save them from their sins. And they think that's where it stops. But folks, he is not only Savior, he is Lord. If you love him enough to rescue you from your sins, you will love him enough to repent from your sins. 
and live for him and make him Lord. John was saying that Jesus is the authority on this earth for God. The second thing he was saying that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Jesus was the sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and for the forgiveness of my sins. He was the atonement. In other words, his blood is what makes us at one with God again. Then he also said Jesus was the Son of God. The term Son of God is focusing on the fact that Jesus was human. So we see here three things. We see Jesus' authority. We see Jesus' divinity. We see Jesus' humanity. This is what John was preaching. And they didn't have a problem with what John was preaching. Why is that? You ever thought about it? I mean, because he was checked out and he didn't, he didn't make much of an impression on them. John was not a threat to those religious people. Why is that? Because he didn't challenge their beliefs. He didn't say that he was God. He said that he was forecasting the God, the Messiah that was to come. John didn't mean a whole lot to those religious people. How do we know? Because when John was sent to trial in front of Herod and was beheaded, no one said a word. They just let him be killed. Beheaded. Because he took a stand on the marital status of the king at the time. Ironically, the lost of John's day accepted John's message and were saved. And the religious refused to submit to it. Folks, be careful this morning. Be careful. Do not be the person who follows Jesus because of his celebrity status. And not be willing to submit to his authority. Let me put it a better way. Don't be shallow. There are many churches that are filled with people. I'm sure that we've got people in here too. And I've been guilty of this at times to where we look like that we are a mile wide in our spirituality. We look like giants, but in reality, we're like one inch thick. We got enough theology to be dangerous. But when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to training, when when it comes to learning how to do something, we don't want it. I don't know about you, but if I was trained to be a welder, I would probably want to go to school and find out what makes that bright light. I would want to find out why you have to wear goggles when you weld. I would have to, I would have to find out and become a disciple of someone who is doing that. So be careful. The second thing, the second witness was his works and his miracles. It says in verse 36, But I have a greater witness than John. My teachings and my miracles the Father gave me. These works to accomplish and that they proved he sent me. I hear people ask all the time. You might ask this. Check this out. Why doesn't Jesus do miracles today? Why doesn't Jesus show up and just put everything to rest over in the Middle East? Why doesn't he come over here and be with our politicians and get rest among all of our democratic parties? Why can't Jesus come over here and do a miracle of proposing a health care budget that works? That would be a miracle, right? 
Why doesn't Jesus just fix things like he used to? The bottom line is Jesus still works today. His Holy Spirit is still doing great things. Although there are things that we might not see or recognize, he is still at work. But the great miracles, he's already done it once and nobody responded. He's done those things. He's done those great works. Everything that Jesus did, every word that is in red in your Bible that Jesus spoke, every word, every miracle, every action had one purpose. Bringing you and I and the Jewish nation to salvation through him. That is why he came. That is why he lived. That is why he died. That is why he rose. And that's why he is coming again. Everything that he did. Nicodemus said it would be best, or he said it best when asking Jesus, what would it take to be born again? And it says in John 3, 2, that after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Folks, there are many witnesses that will try to tell you that they are God. There are many witnesses that will try to tell you that, that they have a special way. We were talking to some friends the other day that they actually used to be in a cult. They have family members that are in a cult. You realize cults are real things. We think, well, I'm in Anderson, South Carolina. The only kind of cult that we have is that thing down the street. No, cults are real. People are getting sucked into them all the time. Now all it takes is an internet connection, a YouTube channel, and people are, are, are leaving their wives or leaving their families and they're going and following these people that are not biblical at all because they are looking for this celebrity type status to follow. Don't be looking for the wrong things because when Jesus Christ made this stand, he was putting an X on his back. He was making a target for himself. The third witness that we see is his word in verses 37 through 47. It says in verse 37, and the father who sent me has testified about him, about me himself. You have heard his voice or seen him face to face and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me. The one he sent to you. Now, I know that we're in Bible mode here, but think about this. Jesus has just told the Jews, who are probably the most devout followers of the Old Testament scriptures than anybody. They still follow them to this day. And he's telling them that your problem is, is that you have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe in me. He is saying to them, if you cannot believe that I am the son of God, then you cannot believe in God. He's saying to them, all of this, this system that you have constructed over the years is ineffective. And if you cannot believe me, then it is your religion. It is your beliefs. It is your experiences. It is your self-interest that are keeping you from believing in me. Verse 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think they give you 
eternal life. And here's the key. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Folks, knowledge alone in the scriptures is not enough to be a witness for Jesus. Knowledge alone of scriptures is not enough to be a witness for Jesus. I have sat in classes to where the educators, the teachers, the professors, they know more in their fingertip about theology than I will ever learn in my lifetime. They have forgotten more about theology than I will ever learn. There are atheists. There are skeptics that know the Bible better than you do. And know the Bible better than I do. And so knowledge alone of the scriptures is not enough to be a witness for Jesus. Because the the Pharisees, they knew it all. Now... The thing is about the religious Jews, especially in those times, they they believed in the Old Testament law, which is like the Ten Commandments. But when it says the scriptures, they didn't have the whole Bible like we have. And so the Jews, they would study what is called the Torah, T-O-R-A-H. And that is basically the first five books of the Old Testament that Moses wrote. They knew them inside and they knew them out. Matter of fact, they would wear these things called phylacteries. You ever heard of the term phylacteries? Yeah, go to somebody after church and say, hey, I learned a new word in church. It's phylactery. (laughs) Ooh, you're smart. But what they were is they were like little leather boxes they would wear on their left arm. They would wear them in pairs. They would wear them in a little leather box on their left arm, and they would wear another leather box right on their forehead. And in these phylacteries, in these little leather boxes, would be portions of the Torah. That they would have with them at all times. They would wear them on their forehead so it would always be in front of them. How they didn't get cross-eyed, I don't know. But they would have these scriptures with them. And they were studying so intently the words. But yet they were missing the Messiah they were proclaiming. The leaders were challenging Jesus. Their treatment of Jesus proved... That they knew the scriptures, but they had no love for Jesus at all. Folks, let me tell you something. As you go back, how many of y'all are Old Testament fans? It's okay if you're not. How many of y'all like the Old Testament? Not me. Oh, preach, you don't understand. There's a bunch of names in there I can't pronounce and just a bunch of boring, you know, all these other things. And look, hey, I understand that. There's not a lot of people that really get into the Old Testament. But let me tell you something. Early on in my ministry, I gained a love for the Old Testament. And I'll tell you, there are some books that are harder to read than others. You know, uh, when you get into the, the names and so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so, whoo, or numbers, you know, that's okay. But you know what? I got a translation that I learned, and I actually did some studying. The Old Testament is beautiful for two reasons. Number one, you see the hand of God working among people to bring people to him. You see Bible heroes. You can relate to Job when you're going through trials. You can relate to Moses when no one wants to follow you. You can relate to Nehemiah when you're trying to do something new and lead others. You can relate to Ruth when you are trying to redeem 
people. You can relate to David when you try your hardest as a Christian to live the life that God wants you to do. And you screw up royally. You can relate to these people. These are real people. That's the first thing. But the second thing, everything in the Old Testament points towards the coming of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament brings in. That that is the thin string that ties everything together from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus' defense here is actually calling out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Let's look in verses 41 through 44. (coughs) Excuse me. Your approval means nothing to me, is what Jesus told him. Your approval means nothing to me, because I know you don't have God's love within you. Oh, wow. That means that there's someone here today that does not have God's love within their heart. He knows it. It says, for I have come to you in my father's name. You have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe for you gladly honor each other. But you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who is in God alone. Folks, we have to be careful as a church and believers that we don't honor ourselves. That we get the term my church out of our vocabulary. This is not my church. Even though I'm the pastor, this is not my church. You are not my people. I am not your pastor. I mean, technically I am, but in the grand scheme of things, I am a man here sent by God to do a job. You are here. You are people that have been called here to be God's people. And it is not about whether this is my pew or the families behind me. It's not about whether the color of the carpet is to my liking or not. It is not whether they're offering programs to me that I like or don't like. It's not to me to whether people are coming in here that I like or don't like. Folks, when we take that kind of ownership, we're just like the Pharisees. We have no problem honoring one another. I was at a church one time. They would do anything to put a plaque anywhere. This building is donated to so-and-so. This building is donated to so-and-so. And they have the, I mean, plaques everywhere. I, I kept telling them when I leave, how about dedicating the bus parking lot to me? That way, uh, you know, I can have the honorary shed plaque. But you know what? It was just, you know, they're a sweet church, but it was all about themselves. Folks, we cannot be like that, or we are just like the Pharisees. I am a man that is trying to stay ahead of the curve of what God is doing here. And you are a people that have come here that you have seen God working and you're jumping in. That is the secret. That is the, the big thing that we're doing here is that we are watching God work and we're trying to plug in. But whether Jesus' name is at the top of your list or not, it does not matter. Think about it. People's opinion of Jesus Christ has no bearing upon his authority. It doesn't matter whether Jesus is politically correct. It doesn't matter what poll places him as far as how, how influential among all people. I'll tell you what, one day the sky is going to split and he is going to come and he is going to return. And those polls won't mean a thing. Whether people like it or not. People's opinion has no bearing on salvation. Folks, i got to tell you something. There are a lot of people, if you were to ask them this question, 
How does one receive eternal life? 99% of the people would say, well, if you're good enough and do good things and are nice to people, then hopefully you'll get into heaven. That is a works answer. And that is the wrong answer. Work won't save the lost. Karma won't save the lost. I'm not a believer in karma. I was talking with somebody yesterday, I think, that uh, I said, I don't believe in karma, but I do believe that your actions reap consequences. But there are people that are putting their faith in the fact that at the end of the time, when they die, hopefully on the scales of life, all the good, all the good they did would outweigh the bad that they did. <laughs> what if you pass away on a bad day? <laughs> what if you miss it like the old get smart? What if you miss it by that much? Some of you are like, who in the world would get smart? I'm sorry I dated myself. I lost the millennials on that one. But anyway, it was a TV show. But now we see here that 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God, one mediator, one who can reconcile God and humanity, and the man is Jesus Christ. My question to you is, whose praises do you seek? Whose praises do you seek? Folks, do not let the opinion of others impact your eternity. Where do you find approval? Without God's approval, we will never be content. Do not let the opinion of others cost you eternity. If you want to see about the opinion of others, go back and look at your yearbooks. Or go back and look at your Facebook back when you were in middle school. Look at the hairstyles you wore. Look at the bands you listened to. Look at the friends you hung around. Everybody had the same hairdos, the same clothes. Everybody wanted to belong. I look back at some of my hairdos and I'm thinking... First of all, it was red hair, and and why would you do that to your head? But hey, at the time, all my friends were doing something stupid, so I was going to do something stupid. All of us know what it's like to be judged in the court of public opinion. Folks, I'm telling you what. Have you ever asked your child this? Well, if your friends jumped into a fire, would you? Well, in their middle school, the answer would probably be yes. Because no one wants to be different. Everybody is seeking The opinion of others, the desire to be liked, does not end when you receive your high school diploma. You could be 80 years old and still seeking the approval of other people. But I'm telling you what, child of God, the only approval that you need to seek is that of God that says, when I see you, I see my son, Jesus Christ. You are approved, you are loved, and welcome to my kingdom. And without that, That's all the approval you need. Matthew says it like this in Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul, but fear only God who can destroy both soul and body. Folks, many think about what others think of them. Is paramount. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this way. Many think, "What will others think of me if I take a stand for my faith? 
and live as a witness for Jesus Christ. Many people are saying, when that invitation comes, what will people think of me if I walk up front? Folks, I've been in church services where deacons walk down the aisle and got saved. I have been in church services where teenagers, children, elderly people have come down front and they finally said, I'm not worried about the opinion of others. I want to know that I know and I want to be a witness for Jesus because I have seen who He is, I know who He is from, and I know what He can do in my life, and I want to know for sure that I am approved by Him. But still people will think, what will people think of me if I begin to take my faith seriously? And I would counter that question with this. What does Jesus think when you don't? He says in Matthew 10.33 that if you disown him, he will disown you before the Father. And that if you fail to lift up his name, and I fail to lift up his name, even the rocks will cry out and praise him. Folks, I want you to understand that the Jews thought that they had Jesus in the perfect position, but Jesus was not intimidated by them one iota. We see in Matthew 12 that he goes and he heals a man with a withered hand again. He wasn't susceptible to their laws. So seeking the honor of man over the honor of God is a bottomless pit that you will never fill. Also, we will be judged by our own beliefs. As we come into the home stretch here, verses 45 through 47 says, Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Folks, the religious leaders, their own teachings pointed to Jesus. Think about it this way. Moses, he heard God's voice. They saw God do great things through him. And they got closer to God because of what Moses has done. Jesus is doing the same thing and they refuse to see it. The religious leaders could not see Jesus in their own scriptures. They were not willing to see Jesus in their scriptures. Folks, our study of the scriptures should not make us arrogant. It shouldn't make us ready for a fight. It should make us humble and ready to serve others. When I was in college and and, and even older, I was guilty of trying to be theologically correct and better than somebody else. Why? It's not about building ourselves up. It is about building him up and making him known. And the very scriptures that the religious leaders use to defend their religion would be the very scriptures that would judge them. How will your beliefs fare on judgment day? Because look at it this way. There, there are people out there that think that Everybody's going to get to heaven that you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe and that we're all going to be okay. I have searched every page in this Bible and I have not found that anywhere. And even like that lady that told my mom, only Baptists will be in heaven. I don't see that here either. Boy, how miserable will that be if it's just Baptists in heaven? We need some Pentecostals to kind of liven it up, right? But when, when we see this, it's not, these things, these teachings that we see are, are, are not in the Bible. It's only what, what is in the Bible that is true. But yet, in what you believe, there are going to be people 
there, it, it's going to be just like Noah. As God was closing that door of the boat before the flood was to come, people were crying. People were begging. But there, were, there was no mercy because mercy was offered and they refused it. One day, whatever you believe and whatever I believe will be tested. Last but not least, we are lighthouse keepers. This is a picture that I found on Google. You can find anything on Google, you know that? But this is a lady that was actually a lightkeeper. And lightkeepers, their job in lighthouses were to maintain the light, to make sure that the wicks were burning. To make sure that there was enough oil so that they would burn. And then also to clean the lens because the light would hit the lens and reflect it. And that's what would cause it to go out and be a beacon for all those ships in the night. John eight twelve says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Folks, we are to guard the light. We are to shine the light. And we are to keep our lives clean from sin so that his light can be seen by others. One of the greatest compliments anybody can give you is, you know what? When people hang around you, they see Jesus a little more clearly. You don't have to be the one that knows everything in the Bible. You don't have to be the one that has perfect attendance. But all you have to do is be someone who is willing to let God's light shine through you. So we are the same light keepers as witnesses for Jesus, using our energy to make him known while keeping our glass clean. So Jesus is asking you, can I get a witness Can I get someone to stand up for me? I have given you my works. I have given you forerunners like John. And I have given you the scriptures. All the miracles you ever need to see are recorded right here. I've given you everything that we need. I have, I have, what, let me ask you, what more does Jesus have to do for us to follow him? Could there be anything more that he could do? He gave his life. He resurrected. He's coming again. The final words have been said. It's just like the religious leaders. It's not about what he needs to do. It's about what we need to do. And I realize the majority of you in here at some point in your life have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. My question would be, what kind of witness do you have? How is your lighthouse looking? And if there is someone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and you're worried about what other people will think, that will be the opinion that will drive you to the grave and eternally separated from God. Don't worry about what others think. Worry about what God thinks. Be a witness for Jesus Christ. This day needs it. You need it. We all need it. God, thank you for this service. And if there's anybody here, Lord, that 
has just come under conviction, Lord, and they want to know for sure that they are your child, that they have eternal life, that they have your light within them. May they come forward. I'll pray with them, and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, Lord, if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in heaven because, Lord, that's a gamble that we don't want to take. And there are a lot of people here that have prayed that prayer before, but, Lord, the discipleship is not there. They're the same they were when they first got saved. Lord, may they make a commitment to follow you, to learn more about you, to jump into a Bible study class, to learn more about your word with other people that are trying to figure it out themselves. Or, Lord, there might be someone here that wants to join the church or just need to pray at this altar. Let them respond as we stand and sing your hymn of invitation. Would you please stand?